0: Good evening, Darklings, and happy Friday. If it's not Friday where you're listening to this, then that sure sucks for you. So you should just listen to the episodes on Friday and save us both a headache. Anyway, I have a few announcements before we dive into the terror tales. First, I would like to thank all of those who listened to the first episode and reached out to me personally. Your compliments and words of encouragement mean everything to me. Thank you. The other thing I wanted to announce was the podcast's Instagram and email have been set up. If you have a story that you would like read on the podcast, you can email submissions to onceuponaterror@outlook.com. at outlook.com. The email will be available in the show notes. I'm looking for stories for the next two episodes. The theme? I'm so glad you asked. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and I'm looking for love horror stories. Do you have a creepy ex that's stalking you? A possessive, significant other. Are they killing people for you? I want to hear all about it. So email those on over. As for the Instagram, the handle will also be available in the show notes. So be sure to give it a follow. Alright, time for the terror Tales. I have three stories for you tonight. So grab a glass of wine, a hot drink, and lock your doors. It might make you feel better while listening to our first tale. It sure made me feel better. So once upon a time... Ponatera presents, there is someone in my house only I can see. By Reddit user, priestess of spiders. I know how it sounds. Believe me, I do. When I tell you that there is someone else living inside my home who only I am able to see, your first conclusion is probably that I'm suffering from hallucinations. That's what I initially believed as well. I think the first sign of my unwanted guest was a couple weeks ago. I was putting in a load of laundry, only to notice that the back door was slightly ajar. Seeing the darkness outside contrasting with the light of the laundry room filled me with an odd sort of dread. My husband and I lived in a fairly safe neighborhood, so I shouldn't have been too worried about the possibility of someone sneaking in, but it still felt like someone had trodden on my grave nonetheless. Pulling myself together, I closed the door, locked it, and got back to work with the laundry, trying to put what I thought was simple paranoia out of my mind. As I clicked the lock shut, I swore I heard something like a faint breath right behind me, but when I turned my head, there was nothing there. Feeling a bit spooked, I head back to the living room, gently reminding my husband not to leave the back door unlocked. I didn't actually see anything for a while, but I frequently Felt like i was being observed i'd be at home alone watching tv cleaning or doing some other mundane tasks while i would suddenly feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end i'd turn around and there would be no one there i would sometimes hear faint breathing too under the bed from the closet on the other side of the shower curtains while i was brushing my teeth whenever i checked though i would be greeted with nothing just empty space, though occasionally I could detect a faint, musty odor. This continued for about a week, and I was beginning to get quite jumpy. I started regularly checking the house from top to bottom every day, just making sure there wasn't any possibility of someone being there. I'd even look in the crawl space under the house with a flashlight. I never saw anything that even suggested that there might be an intruder. But the tension, the paranoia, it didn't go away. And finally, I saw him. It was late at night, and I was up getting a glass of water. I was about to take a sip when I saw something reflected in the shiny black surface of the fridge. It was a pale face, grinning at me from the shadows. Instantly, I wheeled around, dropping my glass in the process, causing it to shatter in a hundred pieces upon the tile floor. I hardly noticed, though, because the face was still there. It hadn't just been a trick of the light, or a brief moment of peridifidolia. There was actually a man peering at me from the shadows of the dining room. He was tall, but not unusually so. Perhaps slightly shy of six feet at the most, his face was stretched into a smug, closed lip grin, with half-open eyes giving an impression of sleepy contentment. He was nude, and entirely hairless, including on the top of his head. I screamed in horror and grabbed a claver from the knife rack in case I needed to defend myself. Moments later, I heard my husband come rushing down the hallway, asking what was wrong. As I watched, the naked intruder put a finger to his lips and shook his head. At this point, my husband burst into the room, clutching a baseball bat. What happened? What's wrong? He asked, audibly panicked. Unable to speak, I pointed towards the strange man, hands shaking, My husband looked into the dark, visibly straining his eyes. He moved closer to the intruder, who was still standing there, smiling smugly and staring at me with those half-lidded eyes. My husband turned on the light switch, fully illuminating the stranger, but still didn't seem to notice him. What's wrong, honey? I don't see anything. My husband asked, standing less than a foot away from the intruder. I swallowed trying as hard as I could not to look at the naked man in my dining room, his smile widening ever so slightly. It didn't help. I couldn't stop staring at him. I never suffered from delusions, hallucinations, anxiety, or any other symptoms of mental illness. But at that moment, I thought I was going crazy. Oh, it's nothing, dear. I I thought I saw someone at the window, but... I paused for a moment, staring at the nude man, who was subtly nodding his head. It was just the trick of the light. I'm sorry for waking you up, honey. My husband set down the baseball bat and moved in for a hug, offering words of comfort as he wrapped his arms around me. I didn't hear any of them, though. I was still focused on the intruder. No matter how hard I tried to will him to disappear, he refused to cease existing. As I watched, the man winked at me and took a seat at the table. My husband led me back to bed, but even as I followed him, our hands entwined. I couldn't help but look back at the naked man in my dining room, waving farewell at me slowly, his half-closed eyes reflecting the faint light of the moon through the uncovered window with sickening malice. I didn't sleep at all that night. How could I? At that time, I was convinced something inside of me had snapped, but for the life of me, I couldn't think of anything that would have caused it. I'm a stay-at-home spouse, so it wasn't work that could be causing it, and it had ample opportunities for social interaction. So clearly, I wasn't losing my mind during due to isolation. As far as I knew, my family never had any especial predilection towards mental illness. My thoughts raced through my mind like rats in a maze until the sun's rays poured through the bedroom window. I waited until my husband awoke before I felt comfortable leaving bed. I didn't much relish the thought of being the only one awake in case our unwanted guest was still here. When my husband finally got up late in the morning, I accompanied him out to have breakfast. To my horror, the intruder was still there, still sitting at the table. I processed for the first time that he was sitting at my usual spot. After my husband and I prepared a breakfast of scrambled eggs and sausages, we made our way to the table. The intruder sat there, unmoving, his half-closed eyes fixed on me. His smug smile seemed to dare me to try and sit down on his lap. I sat on the opposite side of the table as normal, next to my husband. I noticed him raise an eyebrow, but he didn't say anything, so I didn't explain myself. Throughout breakfast, my husband tried to make conversation, but I only answered with monosyllabic responses and grunts. It was hard to focus with the naked man staring at me. I finished breakfast quickly, and then got up to go take a shower. I pretended not to notice as the intruder licked my plate clean. I triple checked that the bathroom door was locked and then took my time trying my best to relax in the hot water. I knew that I'd regret taking such a long shower with my water bill, it would come in, but I tried not to focus on that. Instead, I just tried to calm myself down. It almost worked until I heard the dreadful squeaking of skin on glass. I pulled aside the curtain and screamed. Standing in front of the sink, head turned to look back at me, stood the intruder, smirking. On the mirror, drawn with a finger on the fogged-up surface, was a smiley face. Once again, my husband ran into the room at the sound of my cry, the door seemingly unlocked. "'Are you okay?' he asked, concerned on his face. He still didn't seem to notice the nude man. "'I'm fine,' I lied. "'I I just slipped. I'm all right." Um, honey, did did you draw that on the mirror?' I pointed to the smiley face on the glass." I knew sometimes that things drawn in the condensation on mirrors could reappear once exposed to more steam, and I hoped to god that my husband had just idly doodled it. What? The smiley face? No, I don't think so. Why? Are you sure you're okay? He asked, visibly confused. The grin of the intruder, who only I could see, grew slightly wider. I mumbled out that I was fine and stepped out of the shower, putting on a bathrobe and trying as hard as I could not to accidentally brush against the stranger. I felt his stare bore into the back of my skull as I left the bathroom to go get dressed. The next couple of days passed fairly similarly. No matter how hard I tried to will the intruder to vanish, he still remained. If I was watching TV with my husband, he would lie curled up under the coffee table, smirking at me. At dinner, he would sit down in my regular chair, never breaking eye contact. He even started standing at the foot of my bed at night. I almost got used to it. That was the worst part. I just began to accept that I had gone crazy that this hallucinatory nudist was going to follow me around for the rest of my life. Then he started escalating things. I once woke up earlier than my husband and went out into the kitchen. I paused in front of the refrigerator and gasped in horror and disgust as I saw what was attached to it. Affixed to the fridge door was a cheap magnet with a sheet of printer paper covered in the most vile obscenities I had ever read slurs directed against my husband, crude drawings of swastikas and racist caricatures, allegations that I was cheating on him with his best friend, etc. I glanced over to the dining room and saw my guest grinning, half-closed eyes full of a sadistic glee. I tore the sheet of paper into little pieces and tossed them into the recycling bin, refusing to acknowledge the intruder's presence. The rest of the day passed fairly normally, though every time I looked over at the nude stranger, I felt my stomach lurch. Things escalated quickly after the note on the fridge. I found rusted nails left outside the bedroom door. A condom, opened but thankfully unused, was left on my husband's desk. One day when I went to go make some oatmeal raisin cookies, I opened up the jar of raisins only to find hundreds of dead flies, their wings meticulously plucked off. Every time I would look over at the intruder, he would make eye contact with me, as if daring me to speak out and every time I would say nothing and just clean up the mess. You have to understand, I was convinced that I was just doing these things on my own, as if I was in some sort of trance. I considered putting up security cameras to catch myself in the act, but I was horrified by the possibility that I might see something else. There was one thing that put doubt in my mind, however, something that made me feel the intruder might be something real. Our cat, Horace, could see him too. Whenever the stranger was near him, Horace would hiss and his tail would puff up. On one occasion, he even swiped at him, drawing blood. The intruder leapt backwards, and for the first time, I saw his half-closed eyes open fully, his smug grin turning into an open-toothed grimace of rage and pain. As the cat ran off to hide in the bathroom, my husband laughed and remarked, Silly critter, isn't he? I wonder what's gotten him so worked up. Two days ago came the final blow, which proved both the intruder's reality and destroyed my marriage. I had gone out for a walk to try and clear my head a bit while my husband was at work. I decided to go on a fairly long hike through the nearby forest, and as a result, when I got back, it was nearly 5.30. When I stepped through my front door, the first thing I noticed was the smell, a metallic tang like rust or ozone. It was so alien to my home that it took me a few moments before my brain processed the scent of blood. Grabbing my walking stick like a club and fearing the worst, I crept towards the smell, which seemed to be emanating from the kitchen. As I rounded the corner, I tried my best not to vomit. The tile floor, cabinets, and fridge were splattered with blood. Nailed to one of the higher cabinets, viscera dangling out like party streamers, was the mangled, flayed corpse of Horace. Scraps of fur and skin were strewn about the floor in disgusting heaps. In the corner, covered in blood and scratches, sat the cross-legged form of the intruder, grinning with infinite repulsive smugness. Written on the wall in still wet cat blood were the words, more than one way, with a smiley face underneath. I readied myself to attack the stranger, to bash his brains in with my improvised club, But it was at that instant that my husband came home. I don't want to relive that moment. The things that he said to me. My sobbing insistence that I didn't do this. The disbelief on my husband's face as I finally told him about the intruder. The disgusting, perverse delight in the stranger's smile as I pointed towards him. Finally, I once again gripped the walking stick and moved to kill the intruder. Confident that maybe in death he would become visible. It didn't work. Whenever I moved to attack the intruder, he would simply leap out of the way, causing my strike to hit the floor or the counter. I only stopped when the walking stick finally broke and I fell down sobbing on the blood-stained floor. My husband left in a hurry, yelling something about divorce. I half hoped that he wouldn't just call 911, that I'd be dragged off to a psychiatric institution and pumped full of drugs until I couldn't feel anything anymore. But no. He just ran off, slamming the door on the way out. I've been alone in the house with the intruder for over a day now, with my husband gone. He's only gotten worse. He smashed all the easily breakable objects in the house, torn up all the pillows and blankets, and broke the TV with one of my husband's golf clubs. I tried to stop him at first, but no matter what I did, he always managed to evade my grasp. Eventually, I just gave up. I don't know what the intruder is, Or what he is why he did any of this. I know I didn't kill Horace. I know that I am physically couldn't have. Given that I was out hiking all the time. I don't understand why only I can see him. I'm so tired. I haven't slept in over 24 hours. Whenever I try to leave the house, the stranger blocks my way, and I am far too afraid to test the limits of his strength. I can't sleep. I am horrified of what he might do now that there are no witnesses. I don't know what to do. Please help me. Okay, maybe you shouldn't lock your doors, but do get your eyes checked. Our next tale gave me chills reading it and I'm honored to be able to share it with you. Just don't look in the mirror for too long. This one is called, It Can't Be Haunted If It's Not Dead, by Ty Theophilos. Looking for Reddit's advice on dealing with an issue that's come up with a couple friends of mine. Anonymizing the names for obvious reasons. Okay, so basically, my college friend C, 34 male, and his wife B, 32 female, are putting their house on the market for extremely cheap. Like, hella cheap. Asking price is 150k in an area where the homes usually go for mid-six figures, even in the current market. Being a close friend and having some experience buying homes. Yeah, I know, my parents are rich, please don't hate me. I decided to talk some sense and to see about how he and B should raise the price to something sane if for no other reason than for their kid E's college fund. He's eight and brainy as hell. When C refused to discuss it, I asked about buying the property myself. I flipped a house last year for some decent money and this one seemed like a steal. At first C told me flat out no, which I thought was strange since we've been like brothers since college, but I guess quote-unquote never do business with family is a decent rule to live by, so no harm no foul. After that, the house just kind of stayed on the market so like a moron I kept bringing it up when we'd see each other and one day I guess I struck a nerve that's when he sent me this apologies for the wall of text but I think that it's all relevant Ryan this is going to be a long letter because I could not write a short one please destroy it once you read it don't share it with anyone and don't tell my wife I sent it to you We won't be selling our house to you, and I thought you deserved to know why. Two years ago, when we bought the house, do you remember when I gave you the tour? You mentioned how there weren't any mirrors in the bathrooms, no mirrors in the hallways, not even glossy countertops or anything like that. We noticed that too during the open house, the figured mirrors were cheap to replace. Well, it was two days after closing when we get a call from the previous owners at four in the morning. Not a text. A call. I pick up the phone and the previous owner starts talking. I don't know what she's been drinking, but she's been drinking something. She isn't making any sense. The call wakes up B, too, so she puts on her glasses and I put the call on speakerphone. The two of us listen to the last owner rambling, sobbing, carrying on and on about how sorry she is and about reflections. She's slurring her speech and repeating the same stuff over and over. Thankfully B is used to dealing with me when I'm drunk so she somehow is able to get this woman to slow down and explain herself. And the woman says there is a man who lives inside the mirror. I say, what? There is no answer so B repeats my question with appropriate urgency. After a while the previous owner says, he lives inside the mirror. He watches what you do. He says things. Okay. So already I'm trying to remember the phone number for the local mental health center. But B is treating this more seriously than I am. Because she's a good person and an eternal optimist and she takes people at their word. What do you mean he lives in the mirror? Who lives in the mirror, she asks. And there's a pause on the other end of the line. He is not dead because he has never been alive, the woman says. Do not acknowledge him. Do not talk about him. Don't refer to him. "'Don't look him in the eyes. Don't make the mistakes I did.'" There's a long pause, and over the phone, we can hear her taking another swig of something. "'That's all?' I ask, only half-serious. "'I hope so,' the woman responds, and then the call is disconnected. "'We do not hear from her ever again. I try to contact her the next day, but she must be screening our calls because we can never get through. B tries to write a letter to the real estate agent to get in touch with her. "'Nothing.' Now, for a while afterward, B and I don't mention this call to each other. It doesn't come up. We are both thinking about it all the time, of course, but we can't talk about it out loud to each other without seeming crazy ourselves. Not shockingly, we managed to put off buying mirrors for the house for about two months and denial about why. But fixing your hair in the car's rear view is not as luxurious as it sounds, so eventually we bite the bullet. And we got a contractor to come out and install mirrors. And it's fine. Everything is fine, except there is a man. And this is the part where I'm sure you think your old college roomie has completely lost it. Ryan, but I need you to listen to me because even if I lost it, I am telling you the truth. There is a man who lives inside the mirror. Not just one mirror in one room, but in every mirror in every room in the house. Every mirror you look into, he is there. Usually standing near the back of the room usually buried in the shadows if there are any shadows but it is unmistakable there is a man the man is middle-aged he is wearing a dark gray button-up shirt a black belt gray pleated pants and dull black shoes and he doesn't move he stands there expressionless his skin looks like it hasn't seen the sun he has a crew cut thin lips and straw colored hair he looks like the kind of person you wouldn't notice in a group photo. And the thing about his eyes is they're wide open. At first, I thought he didn't blink. But B says she watched him for half an hour once and caught a total of two blinks. So it turns out he does blink. Just not much. Not enough. So, there is a man who lives inside the mirror. As you might expect, B and I nope the hell out of there. We take E, who has not seen the man yet. We go to a motel about a mile from the house. Thankfully, this motel is man living in mirror-free motel, which is solid setup for our prior living situation. But after a month, E is not taking motel life very well. Neither am I, and neither is B. E's grades are slipping even though he is the smartest kid in the class. We talk about the financial loss of putting the house back on the market. It would be significant given the downturn, even more significant given the man. At the moment, we are paying a mortgage on top of the motel costs. B eventually tells me she wants to at least try living in the house. But it's haunted, I say. It can't be haunted if he isn't dead, she says. And she has a point. So eventually, I say, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's be brave. Let's soldier on. After all, the man seems polite, and he, it is a beautiful house. And if you cover the mirrors in the living room and the bedroom, you really only see the man in the bathrooms, and sometimes in the reflection of your laptop screen, and sometimes in the reflection in the windows. And I like to say he seems polite. Lee and I sit down with E, and we tell him about the man. E seems confused because he's old enough to know that it's not normal for men to live inside of mirrors. We tell him the man is a secret. We tell him we cannot mention the man to each other, that he shouldn't tell his friends about the man, that under no circumstances should he try to talk to the man. For a few weeks, everything is almost normal. We learn to ignore him. We get back into a routine. E is obviously afraid of the bathroom at first, but eventually he gets used to it. Eventually, we all get used to it. I'm starting to think this could be sustainable. Maybe not long-term, but long enough. I'm sure you remember when I was laid off by Ryan. When I was laid off, Ryan. It was sudden. They cut 20% off staff. Well, the timing couldn't have been worse because a few days after that in the middle of the night, while I am lying awake worried about finances and when the house is dead silent, I think I hear the sound of someone talking. Now, the voice is not loud. In fact, it is the opposite of loud. It is quiet, but it is a voice. B is fast asleep, so I get up. I go to E.'s room to check on him. He has the covers over his head, but he seems okay. I assume he's asleep because the voice is not coming from his room anyway. It's coming from the bathroom. I open the bathroom door. The man who lives inside the mirror is standing by the bathroom closet, and he is staring at me. This is his usual spot. What's unusual is that he is talking very quietly. I can't make out what he is saying, but he's saying something. He's saying the same thing over and over and over again. I move closer to the mirror and point my ear towards it. I still can't make out what he's saying. So I pick up a cup by the sink and I put the open side against the mirror. And I take a deep breath and I put my ear to the cup. And I hear what he is saying. And he is saying, Can you see me? 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 I have heard enough. I take my ear off the cup and set the cup down. I leave the bathroom and shut the door behind me, making sure it clicks closed. I go back to the bedroom and I close the bedroom door and slide under the covers and shut my eyes. But the voice is still there. It's faint, but it's there. So I turn on a fan to cover up the voice, but it doesn't help because in the white noise of the fan, I am now imagining the voice. I lie back down. For the rest of the night, I make attempts after hopeless attempt to get back to sleep. In the morning, B and I talk about what's happening because the man is still giving his monologue. B is blaming me and I am blaming her. She says she is worried about me. She says she is worried that I am losing it, but I am not losing it. Then we see that E is crying. I just wanted to know his name, he says. He wouldn't tell me his name, he says. Neither of us blame E. We too would love to know the man's name, but it turns out this mistake is a permanent one because now that the man is talking, he will not stop talking. For an entire week he has been saying, can you see me? But at least he is still in the back of the room. At least he is still far enough away. At least he is still buried in the shadows until he isn't until one day he is closer not all the way up to the mirror mind you but closer and all this time i am looking for work but these companies they hire friends or friends of friends or family members and as it turns out i have fewer friends than i used to and i don't have the right family members i am the wrong person entirely i am starting to use the rear view mirror to fix my hair again b uses it for makeup too when she wears it for the most part neither of us want to look at ourselves there's a bucket in the laundry room you pour it down the sink and wash it out when you're done but at least we don't have to see him at least we don't have to hear him but it turns out there are some things that require a bathroom and one night I can't take it anymore and I go in there when I turn on the light he is all the way up to the mirror this time and he is not saying can you see me anymore because he is saying something new I don't need to put a cup against the mirror to hear him. It is crystal clear. I am lonely. 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 By the time I bring up the nerve to talk to B in the morning, she has already heard the man's new sentence and so has her son. E has had his share of emotional problems at school lately, but this tops them all. He is a wreck. He is inconsolable. Why can't I talk to the man, he says. We should be friends with the man, he says. That night I am more drunk than usual and I decide I am not going to spend another night in the house with him. So I abandon B and E and I go outside to try sleeping in the car, just to get some rest. But when I get there, B is already in the car with E because I guess they are trying to avoid me and there isn't enough room for one more. So now I am trapped inside the house with him. I guess I am trapped. And so I let him have it. I tell him everything. I tell him he's ruining our lives and he doesn't even pay rent. I tell him he's never been alive and he shouldn't exist in the first place. I tell him he's nothing. I tell him he's worthless. I explain his worthlessness in fine detail. I am the Walt Whitman of explaining his worthlessness. But he just keeps saying the same thing again and again in the same tone of voice. And I guess I must have been pretty drunk because in the morning my knuckles are scabbed over and there are shards embedded in them. The mirrors in the bathroom are cracked and broken, and he is still in there saying, I am lonely. I am lonely. I am lonely. B says she does not feel safe around me anymore, but she is wrong. She is safe. I tell her so. I tell her that if she wants to be even safer, we have to get rid of him. So she agrees. She is crying, but she agrees. She tells me she is on my side. She tells me she will help get rid of him. I am still drunk, so she drives us to the hardware store, and we buy as much coarse grit, sandpaper, and black spray paint as we can. I guess any color would do, but we decide on black. Black is best. We bring it home. I storm into the bathroom with a fresh can. I want to do it myself so I can see the look on his face when I do it. And when I walk in, he is screaming this time, and his voice is so loud. His voice is like a jet taking off. It's an air raid siren. His voice is the loudest sound I've ever heard. It is louder than life itself and maybe it is louder than death. And his voice is saying, "Why don't you love me? Why 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 don't you And I am spray painting over him now. I am spray painting his gray shirt and his gray pleated pants and his stupid crew cut and his thin lips spray painting over the shards, letting the paint drip down the walls, letting it pull into the sink. And as I do, he is getting quieter and quieter and quieter until I realize he can't get any more quiet than he is, until I realize he is gone, until he has been totally and completely eaten alive. And for the first time in weeks, maybe the first time in my entire life, it is silent. I hug B with tears in my eyes. She has tears in hers too. I tell her we have conquered this thing. She says we have conquered this thing. I tell her we are a family again. She says we are a family again. And we are a family again. I spray paint the windows black from inside and then black from the outside because there's no reason to risk it. We start getting letters from the homeowners association. I spray paint those black too. The TV goes in the bin. E is crying. The glass comes off the picture frames. E is crying. The laptop goes on eBay. E is crying. I tell B and E that for the next week, the three of us have a job to do. Our job is to find pieces of him we missed. Polished banisters, glossy wood, exposed light bulbs. Our job is to use the sandpaper to remove him. And for the next week, we do the work. We live on sandpaper. I carry it with me like a weapon. I am an efficient hunter. The air fills with sanding dust. I learned this is called swarf, and I learned what it feels like to cough it out of my lungs. I learned what it feels like to watch E cough it out of his lungs. E is crying, and we are a family again. We call the contractor to take down what's left of the broken, blackened mirrors. When the first contractor isn't returning my calls, I try another one. Eventually, we get it done. We are left with bare walls when the mirrors were. I drag B and E into the bathroom and show them. It is a glorious sight to behold. The contractor tries to sell us replacements, but we explain to him that he can go fuck himself. And for the next month, we are in paradise. E is crying, of course, but we are in paradise. B and I aren't talking, but we are in paradise. I stop caring about when I'll get a job because the ordeal is over. There is finally peace in the house. There is silence. There is silence, and we are a family again. And suddenly, I don't know who the hell I am kidding. Suddenly, I wonder how this could be paradise. The others avoid me like a disease. We are living in separate worlds. And then I notice B is spending more and more time sitting on the edge of the bathtub, staring at the bare wall where the mirror was, like she is trying to burn a hole through it with her eyes. At first, I don't say anything because I have nothing left to say to her. But eventually, having nothing to say is no excuse. I confront her over it. I tell her we're not supposed to be trying to see the man. We are supposed to be moving on, like I asked. We are a family again, I say. And she says, what if he's just lonely? And the terrible thing is she meant it. She actually means it. And she says, we should have talked to him. We should have made friends with him. And I wonder how this horrible idea got into her head. I wonder who this person is. And then she says what kind of lesson does this teach teacher's son and i remember who this person is i recognize this person and she says i can't stand the thought of him locked away in there i can feel him i know he's still in there he needs our love see and she is right she is right because she is always right we call the contractors and we apologize profusely we say we actually do want to replace the mirrors we love mirrors We ask them how soon they could come by the house. We make plans. We sit down with E and we tell them about the mirrors. And E stops crying. And halfway through the job, one of the men is complaining and the other is arguing. One of them starts yelling at B in Spanish. She hasn't done anything wrong and he is yelling at her for some reason. And just as quickly as they start the job, they abandon it. They leave the mirrors face down on the carpet and they drive away. I follow B into the living room. She kneels at the mirror and gets her fingers underneath it and tilts it up. She sees something in it and then gently sets it back down. She moves to the other side of the room and sits down in an armchair and makes herself small. I walk up to the mirror too. I get my fingers underneath it. I tilt it up. And I find out B is right. She is right because she is always right. He is still there but he is seated. He is seated this time. He is seated in a wooden chair. He is seated in a wooden chair and he is done talking. He is not talking anymore. His eyes are just as wide but his jaw hangs loose. His jaw hangs loose and his arms dangle at his sides. The blood from his slashed wrists streaks down his forearms and snakes between his fingers and drips to the ground and forms two identical puddles. The dripping never stops. The blood never dries. The body never decays. The man is in every room of our home, Ryan. We have gotten rid of it all, the polished surfaces, and every mirror, and every pane of glass, but he is still right there in every single room of our home, because he is in the reflection in the glasses on my f- wife's face. And when she is not wearing her glasses, he is in her eyes. And he is in E's eyes. And he is in mine. I have tried to catch him blinking. I have sat on the floor for hours staring at the reflection in E's eyes. E doesn't like this game, but I tell him we have to play it. I tell him we have to try. I have been unsuccessful so far, but I have to keep trying. There's a part of me that knows he's in there somewhere. That he isn't really dead, that he's still watching us. If only I could catch him. If only I could see him blink. Because if I don't, Ryan, if he really is dead, Then the house is haunted, and this is the reason we haven't sold. This is the reason. The buyer must agree to watch him for us. The buyer must agree because someone needs to watch him for us. Someone needs to see him blink. We won't be there anymore to do it, so someone needs to do it for us. Someone needs to watch him. So far, no one has had the courage. And this is why we will not sell you our house, Ryan. This is why we will never sell you our house you do not have what it takes. No one does. Yours, C. I tried calling C to talk about the letter he sent me, but I haven't heard back from him yet. The last thing I want to do is overshare something private and have C and B find out I'm a shitty friend. So I'm planning to delete this post soon, hence the throwaway account name. But before I do that, I wanted an outside perspective. Basically, I'm totally still interested in buying as long as B and C are willing to let it go. Flipping it should be a breeze for someone like me. It's a beautiful home, as long as I'm careful with how I stage it. I guess what I'm asking is, would I be taking advantage of my friends to profit off this? And what's the best way to bring it up, the idea to be? I would need to get on her good side to make the deal happen. Thanking you in advance for your help. Well, I understand why people have such strong fears of mirrors now, and our last story of the night also has a mirror in it. This one is called, My Family Purchased an Old House. I Found a Gate to Its Dark Past by Reddit user Tronstanadel. We walked into our new home as the previous owners handed the keys to our mom and dad. Well. "'I can't wait to invite my friends to this place. It looks perfect for a game of hide-and-seek!' exclaimed my older brother, Paul. "'You can invite your friends, but you can forget about playing hide-and-seek. I don't want you running around carelessly and breaking anything. "'You know too well what happened with the washing machine at our old apartment,' our mom replied before Paul reluctantly nodded in obedience. Paul's initial reaction was certainly justified, as the house's sheer size was a heavy contrast to the rather small apartment we had previously called home. It wasn't a mansion, by any means, but you've probably already guessed it was still considerably larger than the type of residence we were familiar with. From my nine-year-old mind, it seemed like the largest house in all of Austria. My brother and I wasted no time making ourselves at home and familiarizing ourselves with each of our house's rooms. My new bedroom was twice as large as the one in our old apartment. I could now play all my dolls and plushies neatly on a spacious shelf instead of having them piled up inside a toy box in a corner. About a week after we had arrived at the house, Paul brought over his friends and they spent the entire afternoon playing video games in the living room. I also wanted to invite my friends, but our parents didn't want too many children inside the house at once and only let one of us invite their friends at any given time hey paul you're being a bit too loud i complained as the noise paul and his friends made while they yelled and laughed and played their video game at full volume was not letting me play with my dolls and plushies comfortably not even in my own bedroom this house is huge hannah i'm sure you can find another room where you won't hear us paul replied clearly not caring much about the discomfort he and his friends caused me with their loud games i could have told our mom and dad about the situation But I didn't want to begin an unnecessary dispute, so I did what Paul told me and went to search for another room where I could play without being bothered by the noise. I ended up settling in the house's attic, bringing my toys upstairs and setting up a make-believe tea party. Paul and I already had been to the attic the first day we arrived at the house, but had found it to be pretty uninteresting, being nothing more than a decently sized room mostly filled with old appliances from our apartment alongside A few things from the house's previous owners that they had left for us, such as some clothes as well as a large chest which I hadn't opened and didn't know what it contained. Hannah will be sorry for being a snitch, I heard Paul telling his friends downstairs. So, are we going to prank her? One of his friends replied. You bet we are. If my mom says I can't play with my video games for the rest of the weekend, then it's only fair for Hannah to not have her plushies, Paul exclaimed. It turned out our mom had ended up scolding him and his friends due to how loud they were, and he assumed I was the one who had told our mom about it so he could get scolded on purpose. But I had not. Anyhow, that didn't matter anymore. They were coming from my plushies, and I had to react quickly. I planned to block the attic store with the large chest that was leaning against the wall. It was pretty heavy, so I only managed to move it a couple inches. It was then when i noticed that pushing away the chest had revealed a hole in the wall that had been hidden from sight up until that point it was just the right size for an average child to be able to crawl through it even a skinny adult could manage to do it i had just enough time to grab all my dolls and plushies in a hurry and crawl inside the hole sealing the entrance with the chest sound before paul and his friends reached the attic dumbfounded they were unable to find me despite being sure they had heard me climbing the stairs and going there several minutes earlier Paul and his friends weren't only ones left in shock, however, and I couldn't believe my eyes once I discovered what awaited me on the other side of the hole in the wall. Another room! A chamber just as big as the attic was hiding behind a wall, only visible and accessible via the hole I had just uncovered. Unlike the attic directly, adjacent to it, this hidden room was completely empty. Or it would have been if it hadn't been for the lone, oval-shaped mirror that hung from one of its four walls. The mirror was about the size of an average adult. Its frame was dark green and it was elaborately decorated with a floral motif simulating leaves. A single light bulb dangling from the ceiling dimly illuminated the chamber. It was already lit when I entered the room and appeared to be really old, but the mirror looked to be even older. I admit it it took a while for me to realize that the mirror wasn't quite working how most people would expect it to work. The room reflected back at me, didn't seem to be one I was located in, but the light bulb wasn't there, and neither was my own reflection. Just when I started to wonder if I was secretly a vampire all along, a young girl who looked to be around the same age as me crawled into the room reflected in the mirror. She carried a lantern in one hand and a doll in the other. She was wearing a long and flowy white dress and a voluptuous skirt adorned with pink ribbons. A pink bow adorned her hair as well. She reminded me of the way my great-grandmother was dressed as a child in a really old photograph I had seen at my grandma's house. The mysterious girl and I both stared into the mirror in awe. Judging by her facial expressions, I quickly guessed she was able to see me in the same way I was able to see her, and it was evident she had also come to the same conclusion in regards to me. After a few seconds of silence, I decided to break the ice. Hello. Who are you? I asked. Hello. My name's Frida. And who are you? Why are you behind this mirror? She timidly replied after hesitating at first. I'm Hannah. I've just found this secret room in my new house while trying to hide from my brother and his friends. They want to prank me and take all my plushies, I explained. Really? I come to this room often ever since my father died a few months ago during the war against Prussia. My brother and I live with my stepmother now, and she's not very kind to us at all," Frieda said. I had no idea of what she was talking about, but I couldn't help but feel sorry for her. Silently, we both took a step forward and stretched our hands until they touched. It had become evident that this so-called mirror was actually a gateway. "'Hannah, Paul, it's time for dinner,' I heard my parents yell in the distance. I have to go now, but we could meet again tomorrow if you want to, I said to Frida. I'd love to. I'd be here tomorrow morning after breakfast, she replied. Paul was forced by her parents to apologize to me for wanting to prank me. I accepted his apologies without thinking about it since my mind was fixated on Frida. I've just had a chat with the neighbors. They're an elderly couple who had lived next to this house their whole lives, and you won't believe the story they've told me. They said that long ago, in the mid-19th century... There lived a widow with her two stepchildren in this house. She was a selfish woman who showed no love for the children and was obsessed with the inheritance of her deceased husband. So when she checked her late husband's will and found out he had given everything to his children and left almost nothing for her, she became overtaken by greed and rage and murdered her two stepchildren in cold blood. My dad explained as we ate dinner. We all shuddered upon hearing that story, even if I didn't fully understand what inheritance and will meant. The thought of a deranged woman taking the lives of innocent children was enough to send shivers down my spine. I woke the next day and ate my bowl of breakfast cereal in a rush, impatient to go to the hidden room and meet with Frida. I brought my plushies through the secret hole and let out a joyful smile once I saw her. "'Good morning!' Rita exclaimed. "'Good morning! Do you want to see my plushies?' I replied. She nodded in advance, crossing the mirror and stepped foot into the side in my side of the room. We spent hours playing in our little secret chamber, as we made up fictional scenarios and role played with our toys. Frida only had her doll, which her mother had made her for just a couple of months before dying of an illness. You've got a lot of plushies, she pointed out. Yeah, I guess I do. Do you want one? I can give it to you if you want, I replied. You really would? Thank you. I would like that one, please, Frida said as she picked up a bunny plushie and cradled it in her arms. We suddenly heard what sounded like intense shouting in the distance, seemingly coming from Frida's side of the mirror. Upon listening more carefully, I managed to identify the voices of a teenage boy and an adult woman screaming at each other. Yeah, it's nothing. This happens often. Don't worry. Let's just keep playing, Frida uttered. It was a reply to what I had just said, but it almost sounded like she was also saying that to herself. The scream ceased after several minutes accompanied by the sound of a door closing violently. She's left the house. I don't know where she goes to, but she normally doesn't come back until late in the evening whenever she does that. I'm fine with it, though, Frida explained. Well, it was fun, but I have to go with my parents and my brother now. We're going to eat in a restaurant today, I said as lunchtime drew nearer. Oh, all right. Do you want to meet again this afternoon? Frida asked. "'Sure, and don't forget to take the bunny I've given you,' I replied. "'Right. See you soon, then,' Frida said before grabbing her doll and her new bunny plushie, crossing the mirror into her side of the room and crawling away through the hole in the wall. "'You look especially happy today, Hannah,' my mom pointed out as we ate lunch at the restaurant. I had my mouth full, so I just smiled instead of replying with words. "'She's been going to the attic lately. I've seen her climbing the staircase with her toys and staying in there for hours on end,' Paul explained." "'I've made a new f- friend,' I uttered after swallowing my food. "'A friend? But all you've done this weekend is go to the attic. "'I suppose it's an imaginary friend. "'Unless you're talking about a mouse or a cockroach,' Paul sarcastically replied before letting out a chuckle. "'It's none of your business,' I proclaimed, ending the conversation. "'We arrived home around 5 p.m., and I waited no time rushing to the attic to reunite with Frida. "'I crawled through the hole and into the secret room. "'And Frida wasn't there.' It's all right i'll just have to wait a little while i said to myself and so i waited and waited but frida did not come i stared at the magical mirror and into frida's side of the room fearing for her safety after taking a deep breath i took a step forward and crossed to the other side what awaited beyond the mirror was a house that had identical layout to mine but noticeable differences soon became apparent all the modern furniture i had in my house was gone and vintage neo-gothic furniture that was really popular from the mid-19th to the early 20th century had taken its place. There seemed to be no electricity, nor any sort of appliances or devices that depended on it either. Hannah! I heard a familiar voice whispering from inside a nearby room, which I later identified as the equivalent to my bedroom. But in that version of the house, it appeared to be Frida's bedroom. Frida! "'What happened?' I asked as I noticed she was trembling in fear and tears were running down her face. "'My stepmother came home a few minutes ago, and she was really, really mad. "'My brother told me to go hide in my bedroom, and then I heard screams,' Frida uttered in between sobs. "'But I thought you were used to those screams,' I replied. "'Not to that kind of screams. It sounded like my brother was in pain. "'I also heard objects falling and breaking, and then everything stopped.'" Frida explained, breaking into tears as I tried to comfort her. "'It's okay. We'll go see what happened together. I'll be right next to you,' I said before Frida and I stepped out of the bedroom holding hands and slowly made our way to the living room. What we found there made my skin go pale. Blood. There was a pool of blood on the floor and pieces of furniture scattered all over the room, clearly indicating some kind of struggle had taken place. We heard noises coming from the garden." We peeked through a window and were horrified at the sight of Frida's stepmother digging a deep hole in the ground with a shovel with a large bag about the size of a person laying right next to her. Frida's stepmother turned to look at us with a stare that at first conveyed shock, but then morphed into a face of pure rage. We ran as fast as we could, climbing the staircase and locking ourselves inside the attic as Frida's stepmother drew closer. She violently knocked on the door. Open the door, she angrily ordered, but Frida and I did not reply. "'Come on, Frida, this is just a misunderstanding. "'I promise I'll go buy you another doll "'if you open the door and let me talk to you.' "'Yes, and it will be a thousand times better "'than the cheap and old one you have,' she uttered, "'suddenly changing her demeanor and speaking in a tone "'that made her sound like a warm and loving mother. "'Frida didn't answer and started crying "'even harder than before, "'clutching the doll her mother had made "'for her against her chest. "'There are a few documents that your poor father "'wrote before he went to war and died.' but he was wrong about some of the things that he wrote. I want to correct them, but I need your help for that. In return, I can also buy you a beautiful dress made by a very talented dressmaker I know. You'll be as pretty as the empress herself and all the girls in town will envy you. What do you say? Frida's stepmother continued. Liar, go away, I yelled. A few seconds of silence followed. Ugh, you idiot! If you had just stayed in your bedroom, I would have spared you, but it seems you leave me no other choice. Open up, you little piece of shit! The stepmother's friendly sod vanished as she yelled in anger and started banging on the door. Frida and I tried to hold the door with all our strength, but her stepmother wouldn't stop banging, hell-bent on knocking it open. This won't do. Let's go to the hidden room, I suggested. The door burst open a couple seconds later as Frida's stepmother charged toward us. I crawled through the hole in the wall first, but when it was Frida's turn, her stepmother grabbed her legs and dragged her out. I attempted to grab her hand and desperately pull her towards me, but I wasn't strong enough. Anna! Frida yelled in terror as she slipped away and was left at her stepmother's mercy. Mommy! Daddy! Help! I shouted as I crossed the mirror into my version of the house and went downstairs. Mom and Dad have gone shopping, Paul said as he ate snacks and watched a movie in the living room. I jumped into his arms as my face was soaked in tears. What are you doing? What's wrong? He asked as I hugged him and refused to let go. The attic! An evil woman! She took my friend! I struggled to utter. What are you talking about? Paul asked in confusion. I led him to the attic and showed him the hidden room. Is that a mirror? What's it doing here? Paul uttered and I stared at the mirror just as baffled as he was. It depicted our reflection like a normal mirror would. I took a step forward and attempted to cross through it. What I accomplished was bumping into glass. Hey kids, look what I've found, my dad exclaimed a few days later, showing us an old key he found in the attic. I think it opens this chest, he explained as the large chest that blocked the entrance to the secret room opened, revealing all kinds of old objects. My brother and father started looking at the objects and commenting on them one by one. Wow, these must be over a century old, maybe even from the 19th century, my father pointed out as he checked an old clock. My brother listened to him, but all I could focus on was a pair of toys covered in dust at the bottom of the chest, a doll, and a bunny plushie. That's all I have for you tonight, Darklings. Be sure to follow the social media in the show notes. Good night, and I'll see you next week.